Aloha mai kako. It is so good to be back in the studio with you, our beloved Brave Through community. Indeed, since our last series, so many of us have been braving through the storms of life. We've been examining our priorities, watching our eyes, learning and growing together toward a better and more peaceful world. Not too long ago, I sat down with Lynn Meheula at Google for a discussion entitled Rebranding Peace for the 21st Century. It is available on my website, mayasutoro.com, and on the Talks at Google YouTube page. Now, during this conversation, I shared a lot about what peace building means to me, the active communal nature of it, the need for positive peace building, which is about relationship and movement building, social and restorative justice. The conversation also served as an opportunity to introduce the work that goes on behind the scenes every day in the worlds of three nonprofits that I've had the honor and pleasure of co-founding. Today, it brings me so much joy to invite my friends and colleagues into the conversation to deepen our understanding of and our commitment to peace building that is complex and intersectional. I want to build upon some of the ideas that we've shared and to layer in their perspectives and experiences working on the front lines of peace building. The adventures, the inspiration that fuels our foundational commitments to rebranding peace will hopefully inform and inspire you, our audience. And lately I've been thinking a lot about the threads that keep us all connected as one fabric through our challenging but soulful work as peace builders. When you examine the core values, principles, and ethos behind each of the organizations, we are all about taking action and understanding the needs, but also the strengths and gifts of frontline communities. We are about finding and identifying community source solutions. We are about uplifting voices that haven't been heard or who have not been invited into the room. We are about respectfully nurturing the next generations and amplifying the many gifts and aspirations of young peace builders, all the while using every resource at our disposal to reach our base, expand our impact and deliver on our commitments to positive peace building, utilizing a variety of methods, pathways and tools, some of which I hope we can get into. So let's get to it. Let's explore some of the foundational concepts that ground our work and help us to complicate our understandings of positive peace building, as well as peel back the layers and examine the multidimensionality of today's peace movements. The Peace Studio is a place of storytelling and movement building and helps us to understand the impact that stories can have on influencing culture and mindset and lifting up peace building identity. I co-founded the Peace Studio a few years ago with my literary agent, Jennifer Gates, and her colleague, Todd Schuster. We wanted to support artists and creatives to become peace builders and movement builders in their own communities, but also to connect across the continent and here in Hawaii too, across the waters. The Peace Studio is about growing restorative narratives, and it's now a burgeoning organization with a vibrant curriculum and core programming. In recent weeks, the Peace Studio has adopted a new co-leadership model to take this cultural movement to new heights. And I'm so pleased today to have both executive directors, Thomas and Mariano, here with us. Thomas, 
I'm curious, as an artist yourself, you're a very talented opera singer, and as our founding executive director, what is uh, your perspective on this notion that artists can and should be peace builders in our communities? Thank you, Maya. It's a great question, and I'm, I'm so honored to be here with you and uh, with Kaloha and Scott, who I admire and uh, consider family. So something I'm always chatting about with people learning about the Peace Studio for the first time is why we're so specific about developing artists and journalists as peace builders, as opposed to defining them as activists or social impact leaders or whatever other terminology you might want to use that is similar. And I think the answer is that I see all of these other terms as falling short of what peace building denotes. To me, peace, and I think in the way we define it at the Peace Studio, is just as much about how you show up in the world as it is about the actions that you take. And so when we talk about an artist as a peace builder, it's really encouraging them to see the power that they hold in their hands with the stories that they tell. If they start internally, if they find peace within themselves, if they learn to have practices of self-care, our belief is that the work that they will create will be different. And I think it's sort of the, you know, peace to me is sort of this combination of love and justice combined. Um, it's realizing that in this time of great divisiveness, that those who tell stories have a responsibility to help society feel a sense of hope. And if we're only angry, I think that becomes way harder. And so I'll, I'll end with this. I, I heard the philanthropist and filmmaker Abby Disney once give a talk, and she, she mentioned this study that was done a few years ago that found that by the age of 18, the average American child will have seen 16,000 simulated murders and 22,000 acts of violence just on television. And that doesn't even count games or films. And it's sobering to think of how violence permeates our culture at every twist and turn. And so it adds to this notion that how we tell stories really matter, that stories, if told with the intention of helping society heal and helping build community, it really can help us achieve more than what we can do just as individuals alone. And I think it, I think it will ultimately help us solve all the other challenges that we're all concerned about. Whatever the issue is that you care about, stories matter to that issue. And the way that you tell that story matters. And, uh, and I think that's why we, we talk about artists peace builders specifically. Mm, thank you. And Mariano, in trying to foster this culture of peace that Thomas is talking about, how does the Peace Studio sort of draw a line between its two audiences or connect them, artists and journalists? Well, first of all, as the newcomer to the ED group here, uh, it's really lovely to be in Hawaii where you are, and it's great to meet some of the other folks that are kind of in our cohort of uh, leadership. So it's, it's really, really an honor to be here. Um, to draw a line between artists and journalists, I would say they're storytellers. And whether you're trying to tell a climate story or talking about what's available in your backyard, um, you have to hear a story. We have uh, journalists who are factual storytellers and artists who are interpretive or creative storytellers. For the journalists, for example, when you look at military spending, where $770 billion worth of, of uh, spending, which is about combined the next six countries, that story alone needs to be examined carefully. If journalists don't tell you why that matters and how that impacts our own internal culture, where are you going to hear it? If we cover a school shooting, which are 
unfortunately, more and more of them every day. We only focus on, on the violence. We're just perpetuating that culture. If we can talk about the resilience of the communities, if we can talk about some of the initiatives that people are putting together to counteract some of these horrible things, now we're building peace in different ways. And for artists, I mean, Thomas talked about it, you know, the way that, that violence shows up in our art form. Movies are the American art form. Um, but there's also music. Uh, there's a lot of violence against women in pop music and hip-hop and R&B. You see violence play itself out in art. If we can influence these two groups of storytellers that are the most influential uh, sources of cultural um, artifacts for American society, then we believe we can foster a culture of peace in America. Thank you. And for both of you, I have the question of, what is the difference between our current culture and the culture of peace? that you seek to generate in terms of what we see every day and how the everyday person is impacted? Yeah, I mean, I think to build off what Mariano just said, when we talk about building a culture of peace and encouraging storytellers to work in this way, we don't, we don't just mean telling stories that feel like fluff pieces or stories that don't have multiple acts to them that don't feel, um, you know, fact-based or, or uh, specific to, you know, whatever the story is being told about. It's not, um, it's not going to, you know, we're not encouraging, you know, soft stories. Uh, it's really just, it's asking artists and journalists to ask themselves the question, how are you going to show up when you tell your stories or you create your art? How are you going to realize the power that you hold in your hands when you create work? If artists and journalists aren't thinking about that, then we aren't going, then I think all the other challenges that we're facing right now are going to be way harder for us to move towards because we are in a time where it feels like we're in our silos and we're shouting at the wind sometimes. And, and it's hard to think about how we're going to work together. And we have to work together across all different kinds of geographies and backgrounds and disciplines and experiences and cultures. And I think artists and journalists, to me, are the, kind of the front lines of that work. And so if they see it as a vocation, if they see that, that they have a responsibility to show up and really consider how, how they're creating their work, it'll take time. But I think that's when we'll start seeing a different culture form. And um, yeah, do you want to add to that? Sure. I think when I go into a classroom to talk to journalists, I say, you know, data turns into stories. Stories turn into narratives. You have to res take responsibility for the narratives that your work contours in society. You may say, oh, well, I, I reported on the facts, which is usually what we're told to do as journalists. Yes, but over the course of your career, those facts and those stories turn into a, a picture of society. And we're not taught to take responsibility for that picture. I believe the Peace Studio is offering the opportunity for storytellers to look at their work through that lens and saying, what impact am I having in society? I mean, I, I left journalism when it turned into info entertainment in the early aughts and didn't come back until I realized that there was a place in public media. So I spent a lot of time in PBS and NPR up until about three weeks ago, producing stories that I thought would highlight marginalized voices and would create positive impact, not just 
for the listeners and the readers and the viewers, but also within the societies. I took responsibility to face the communities that I was, like indigenous communities are notoriously difficult to access because of the amount of extractive storytelling that has happened. I made myself accountable to those communities, which is a journalistic no-no, but you know what? I feel like I did it with integrity, both journalistically and socially. And I would stand by those methodologies any day. Thank you so much. And from the perspective of the listener, the watcher, the learner, the community member, I know that the work that is being done by the journalists and artists who are in the Peace Studio community enables a sense of optimism. It's an antidote to grief. It helps uh, the listener to feel activated in their own spaces. So I'm grateful for that. I wanna talk a little more about this sort of collective energy that we're cultivating. I love that ICP is operated by mothers working alongside core folks of young people, millennials, Gen Z. I think this is true of all of the organizations here. I think that intergenerational duet is important. Young people offer a certain vibrancy and energy. Uh, we are, of course, endeavoring to shape and sometimes reshape um, worlds that uh, they will inherit. I think that it's important that we think about um, our generational duets and cooperation, our impact, and sort of our roles as nurturers as well. Can you all speak about um, what it means to you to be caring for the generations that will follow, as well as including their brilliance in your work, you know, and as young leaders, you know, what does it mean that we truly respect and reverence uh, young people in these peace building efforts? In the middle of the pandemic, my then seven-year-old daughter looked at me and said, I know, Daddy, that you're doing a lot of things for other communities, communities that don't have access to media, but what are you doing for the planet? And at the time I realized I had absolutely nothing for her. I've been a, you know, community engagement kind of journalist, never really focused on environmental stories because uh, it was just not my beat. And, and so I had to figure out how I was gonna get involved and I wound up uh, writing a grant for an environmental manufacturer. But what I've done since has helped me kind of bridge some of the things that I have done in my career together, which was, I did about seven years of peace work. I've been a journalist, I have an MFA. And all of these things have been kind of at odds at different times. And the peace studio is a confluence of all three, and I never thought I'd be able to do all of them in one place. And so when Thomas approached me about six months ago and said, hey, what do you think of us co-leading? Um, I, I didn't want to accept that that was a possibility because it seemed too good to be true. But here we are, and it's, it's marvelous, and it's, it's wonderful to be able to not just be able to, to have the confluence of journalism, art, and peace, but also to now be in, in league with environmental and you know, educational 
organizations that are equally uh, committed to the framework that we share, which is peace. So I'm very excited. Sure, I can add a little bit to that just from, I guess I'm the only uh, leader here that does not have children yet, but I, I, uh, I can share, you know, why I got involved with the Peace Studio in, in, that, in terms of your question, Maya, around intergenerational duet and, and caring about young people. And, and for me, it was really based on my background as an artist and seeing so many of my colleagues uh, right when I was graduating from college burning out because they weren't given the sort of practical skills of how to learn how to take care of themselves, how to, um, how to think about their art in a non-traditional way, that there's not just one path to be an artist, but you can have impact in a multitude of ways. And the Peace Studio really presented an opportunity to imagine, you know, what would it look like if artists were given the resources and tools that they needed to create the change they wish to see in the world. And, and I don't think that's something that's being taught in schools. I don't think that that's the priority. You know, there's a, it's a beautiful thing to work really hard on your craft and to become a great cellist or a great filmmaker or a great singer. But then you have to go do something with that. And I think that a lot of academic institutions are failing to reimagine what that could look like. And so, you know, at the Peace Studio, we're, we're trying to be radical in some ways. We're saying we care more about the process than the product. We care about you as a human being and how you are taking care of yourself and how you are showing up in the world. And we imagine that the, the, the work that you create will ultimately um, be greater, have more impact if you start there. And um, yeah, so that, that would be my, my sort of response to what it looks like for us to show up as leaders in trying to foster this community of care. There are likely innumerable challenges um, that you face in the work that you do and do so well. Would you share with us a little bit more about what are the challenges of peace building, but also the opportunities that you see ahead? And you can use this time also to just speak a more about what excites you and what you're looking forward to, especially in terms of you know collaborative uh, work and all of the intersections that are uh, present here at the table. Maybe Kilaha begin. Sure, I think um, I, Thomas actually just mentioned something that sits with me a lot right now as we're situated on a universe, a public university campus. Um, I think you're right. As a graduate of this university. I still feel like there's so much that I missed. And we constantly at the Institute for Climate and Peace receive inquiries and asks from students in research-based public universities just like this from all across the US um, and in the Pacific region looking for something more and looking for a gap to be filled that they don't yet know what that might be. And I think sometimes in our daily work, and, and sometimes it's eight hours, Scott, and, and sometimes feels like 80. Sometimes in that work, I feel that the Institute for Climate and Peace, for example, is not so much an institute. She's still an idea and we're gonna grow with her 
and we're going to allow her to become exactly what you had described of um, what comes next for artists, what comes next for storytellers. Um, I think we're, we're still describing what can come next for those that are deeply committed about climate action that is still being left to the side and still being abandoned. So what I think that means for us is there's a tremendous opportunity to fill a void that right now is not singing a song in rhythm or in harmony with nearly enough people yet. One of the things that's exciting for me right now um, is we are building a partnership with public media to be able to take this framework of restorative narrative into every newsroom that wants it in NPR and PBS stations across the country. That's really, really exciting to me because it signals the possibility that there will be a focus on not just what's negative and immediate in our society, but what is restorative and long lasting. So that's exciting to me. I think one of the challenges, um, as what Scott was just talking about, is allowing people to see what is immediately or tangibly peaceful in your own life. Two of the more conflictive uh, spaces that I've ever been was working with nonviolent peace uh, activists in Israel and Palestine and working with spiritual leaders trying to build a peace in Guatemala between the MS-13 and the 18th Street gangs. And in both of them, what I realized is, sure, you have warring parties, sure, you have extreme uh, acts of violence and extreme ideologies. The vast majority of the people are the people caught in the middle who just want to get on with their life. And for them, being able to influence even one of these more extreme people to come a little closer could save hundreds of lives. And I see that work of, of, of planting seeds, of building communities, and of creating narratives that restore society as crucial to these macro level conflicts that we think we can't get our minds around. So I think we, we have good work to do, but it's a challenge to communicate that to people who think they have no place in it. I think the only thing I would add is just, I love the positive peace building framework because to me it says that peace is daily ongoing work. And, you know, there I do have a lot of conversations with people that think of peace as this uh, very lofty or almost undefinable term and see it as just the opposite of violence and just see it as, you know, in relation to war and peace that don't really understand what it, what it would mean to be building peace in a, in a daily sense on the ground. But when you think about peace in terms of something that we have to be building every day, um, it creates a sense of, of urgency. It's like, like you don't wait until you're super, super sick to go to the doctor to get medicine. You know, if, if you, you start feeling sick, ideally you go early on. And, and I think similarly, we don't want to wait until we've reached a point of mass destruction. We, you know, we need to be actively proactively building peace. Um, so the urgency becomes tremendous, you know, that, that it, we have to be anticipating what could happen if we don't, if we are not working on building peace every day. And, and I think, you know, it, it excites me, you know, especially having Mariano join 
in leadership with me to to be thinking about scaling this and and to be thinking about scaling it as well the the efforts that Kayla Han Scott are leading um, to think about what could be in five ten years as as our programs reach more and more people as we see these communities form um, and for us at Peace Studio to think about you know thousands of artists and journalists working in this way um, working with such intention about how they tell stories and what that could mean for for our culture. Thank you. Thank you all. My work is at the Matsunaga Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution here at the University of Hawaii. And if you listeners are interested in these types of conversations, we also invite you to check out the Matsunaga Institute's uh, Eventbrite page as well as YouTube page to uh, find lots of conversations about peace building variously defined. We look at peace building in terms of mediation, negotiation, conflict transformation, indigenous peace, personal peace, um, human rights and policy for civil rights, freedom of expression and discrimination, inclusion, protecting democracy, providing support to victims of violence, uh, post-traumatic growth, and much more. And all of these organizations here offer up a series of strategies, tools, and offer caring support to individuals in need, but also help us to think about defining beloved community. And I want us to close, perhaps, by um, asking for each of you to share your thoughts with our audience and to speak from your heart about why this work is important to you and whether you feel optimistic about the future of creating a more peaceful and just world. I think what gives me hope is when I have conversations with our artists and journalists, our fellows, our, our catalysts, and, and when I hear them say, the Peace Studio has given me permission to dream bigger than I ever thought was possible. And, and when I hear them feel like they, that a light has gone on and that they now are feeling restored, that they're feeling like they have the skills necessary to really use their lives and their art and their storytelling in the ways that they always wanted to, but just hadn't found the right outlet yet. And that's what keeps me going is, is every time I have that conversation, I say, wow, this is, this is worth, this is worth it. No matter how hard it is to grow a small nonprofit, um, I feel like I know, I know that history tells us individuals can change the world. And that's, that's what I believe to my core. I would say I'm, I'm not generally an optimistic person and I don't see a lot of evidence for optimism but I'm a very hopeful person, and, and hope for me is an active word. It's, it's almost a verb. You, you, I mean, well, it is a verb, you can hope. And, and that's what I do actively with my work. And the thing that brings me hope lately, and I would say for the last like three or four years, has been the increase in, in women in leadership. And I don't just say that like as a platitude. I've for a long time been a fan of, of women-led organizations, women-founded organizations. They move differently, they act differently, and they have a different kind of impact. It seems deeper to me, and I've, I've been actively seeking women in leadership to follow um, and to model my own career after and to support in the ways that I can. And I've found some exceptional women like yourself, Maya, who um, are starting movements. 
and teaching others how to do it. And that brings me hope because it also takes a responsibility in a sense uh, off of my shoulders because I don't have the imagination to, to see these new futures. And so I can latch on to women who can see those futures and support them however I can. Well, I want to thank you all for being here. It's been so good to have our Brave Through community get to know you a bit. And um, listeners, each of you has an opportunity and an obligation to contribute and choose to participate right where you are, whatever your resources, whatever your age, um, wherever your community. We hope that you feel enriched and have found some inspiration in the work of these three organizations. Um, we really want you to feel empowered and to reach into your heart and into your community to find the voices that inspire and ignite your sense of wonder and to find spaces of collaboration and engagement that have meaning in your lives and the issues that resonate most deeply for you. And then take one step forward, take action, take our Seeds of Peace workshop or <laughs> um, become involved uh, with either of these three organizations or another organization that you admire. The point is that as we see new obstacles before us, as we start to feel anxiety about the seemingly intractable problems all around us, we need to preserve the commitment to actions, large and small, to peace building goals, North Star and Near Star, to uh, activating our peace-building identity and our upstander identity um, wherever we are. And if you can close by just telling our listeners, what should they do? What is one thing they can do today um, and um, tomorrow that will improve their capacities to build peace in their own lives and communities? Just one thing. I tell journalists and storytellers generally, if you're the most interesting or the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. And if you just show up with that everywhere you go, understand that there's going to be someone that's got a great story to tell and that's going to be different from yours. That there's somebody that knows something that you don't. And you have the humility to assume that about everybody. Uh, you'll find that it's easier to have peaceful relationships one-on-one. -on -one. This is not a macro piece, this is a micro piece. And, and, and that's a good place to start. Feel free to check out the Peace Studio website, thepeacestudio.org, and subscribe to our newsletter for all the information on our programs and upcoming events. And, and then I guess I would close by just saying, think about the stories that you read, the stories that you tell. All of us are storytellers in some form or fashion. And what we tell and what we listen to matters. Thank you so much to you, our Brave Through listeners, and to everyone in the room. I am not the most interesting or smartest person in this room, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to learn from each of you, and thank you for being part of my beloved community. Join me for future conversations with really thoughtful, creative people who are helping us to wash our eyes and nourish a sense of possibility around difficult social challenges. Thank you so much for listening. 
please share and stay in the conversation.